good morning. Uh, yesterday evening, I arrived home from having been at Duke Divinity School for a very intensive week of study. And if you've ever even just driven up to their chapel, uh, the first vision of it is a spiritual experience of its own. And then when you enter it, it's even more significant, just the awe and the glory um, of what man's hands have created to honor our God and our Father. And one of the professors that I had the privilege of listening to every day of the week, her name's Lauren Winner. Um, she is in the Episcopal Church. She um, grew up a very, very devout Jew and transferred, converted uh, to Christianity in her, in her early 20s. And the research that she's doing right now is all on the Bible and memory. Uh, she talks about how our current memories and our past memories uh, move us toward the decisions we're going to make in the future. And I wanted to point out to you some specific areas of scripture that talk about remembrance. Uh, and I think now when you are reading scripture, you'll be like, wow, God tells us that very, very, very often. Uh, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. On our communion table, this do in remembrance of me. Passover uh, was established so that we would remember God's deliverance of his people. And not only are we instructed to remember, God remembers. He remembers us. He remembers his covenant with us. The story that's in front of us today was uh, written in scripture uh, three different times. Uh, so I do think that this is a story uh, God wants us to listen to and wants us to remember. Uh, so you can follow along on the screen as I read Matthew 19, 16 to 30. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. 
but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to him, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So who is this young man that has come to Jesus? We hear the story in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this is one of those stories that, that pastors get excited about, and we print off all three versions, and we lay it out on the table, and uh, get all our colored markers out and our pens, and we start saying, how much can I learn about this man? One passage tells you a little something, the next one tells you a little bit more something. Um, good way to really know more deeply about this man. All of the passages tell us that he was rich. We learn that he was young, and we learn that he was a ruler. So thus, the title of what he is known as in the Bible, the rich young ruler. This ruler, he was rich more than financially. Within the Jewish culture, within his uh, area of influence, he was outstanding. He upheld the law. Uh, in that culture, he would be the kind of guy you wanted your daughter to marry. He was widely respected, morally upstanding, just an upstanding guy. And interestingly, he was one of the few wealthy and powerful people who sought Jesus out. And in contrast to Nicodemus, who came to Jesus in the dark of the night, this man, he came. He wanted to come. He couldn't wait to get there. According to Mark, Mark tells us, he ran up to him and knelt before him. It's likely that the sight of this guy running caused quite a commotion. Uh, men didn't run in this time. It would be undignified. Uh, they would have to hike up their tunic, and it would actually show their leg. And that is not something that you would have seen happening. So he really, you know, kind of humbled himself, you know, kind of made a fool of himself as he's running through town and, and goes up and he kneels to Jesus. He had a question for Jesus. He pursued him with boldness, and he knew that Jesus was the only person that could answer the most pressing question that he had on his heart. His question was, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? How many of us in our own lives have thought through that question? We live in a society that rewards good behavior. Uh, when our littlest ones do something they've just learned, we, we clap for them, we tell them good job, and we're so excited. 
Uh, some parents give money to their children for grades. Sorry, kids, I didn't, I didn't do that. Um, but as a reward for good grades. And when a company thinks we've done a good job, we get a raise. I want to show you an example uh, that Tim Keller used in his ministry when speaking on this story. Take a look. Oh, here you are, standing there, loving me. Whether or not you should. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done y'all finishing the song <laughs> but it is so ingrained in our minds that we must have done something good uh, think about the story in Job his friends told him the reverse his friends said oh you must have done something horrible to have gone through what you went through but Jesus, don't you love it when this happens? He responds to the ruler with a question of his own. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Quaker practice of a, of a clearness committee, but it's where you're trying to make a decision and you need support and help with this decision. And so you invite close colleagues and friends and men and women of God and in the Quaker tradition, all they do is ask you questions. And they help you mine through, what are you thinking about this? And it can go on for a significant amount of time. So Jesus says to the young ruler, why do you ask me about what is good when there's only one who is good? Now, there's three specific things that I hope you can walk away from today, uh, having acknowledged and seen or just, just have a touch of deeper understanding of it. The three things are, he is the definition of good. He demands perfection. And he provides the way. Psalm 19.7 tells us, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. He's giving the rich young ruler the standard of goodness. The only one who is able to fulfill the law, to be good, was God's Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this demand from Jesus to the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler, he is not getting what Jesus is saying to him. So he's like, okay, I think I've done all that. You know, go talk to my friends. Everyone that knows me will tell you, you know, how upstanding I am. You know, all the, the knowledge that I have, the memorization that I have. From the time he was a youngster, that's what he had focused on, was fulfilling 
the law. So then he says to Jesus, he says, well, okay, which, which specific ones are you, are you talking about? I need you, I need you to narrow this down for me. So Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The rich Mueller ruler does believe he's done it all. So then Jesus says to him, gets him at the heart here. Okay, you believe that you've obeyed the law and the commandments to the letter. Try this. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. When the rich young ruler heard that, he went away. And it says he went away sorrowful. Jesus is not anti-rich. Jesus was presenting the rich young ruler with the one thing that captured his heart. I want you to hear this quote from Howard Thurman. Whatever gifts people have, including money, if they consider those gifts their own personal property to do with as they please, then those gifts stand between them and full community, fellowship with other human beings, and ultimately with God. And that is when all such gifts become evil. Now, when I was at Duke this week, there's about 25 of us that meet together, and we talk about what pastors talk about, what are you preaching on this weekend, what's your passage, and I'll give you some insight into something that happens behind the curtain here at Peachtree. So when pastors are sitting around a table, and someone says, okay, yeah, I'm preaching on Amos 4 this week, there's this uh, conscious uh, competition in every pastor's mind at that table to be like, oh, I know Amos 4. And then they'll, they'll like boldly quote a verse from it. Uh, there are some pastors, some might be in this room, that are very, very good at that. <laughs> um, so I can see these like 25 other people when I tell them, oh, I'm, I'm preaching on Matthew 19. I can see like their brains going, Matthew 19, Matthew 19, you know, and they're figuring it out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, well, I had basically, Rich gave me three choices. I can, I can preach on divorce. <laughs> I don't want to preach on that. Um, I could preach on let the little children come to me. That would be fitting for, for a family pastor. Or I could pit preach on wealth. <laughs> and one of my colleagues that serves in Greenville, South Carolina, she knows Buckhead. And she cracked up laughing. She said, you're preaching on wealth in Buckhead. <laughs> and I said, yes, I'm preaching on wealth. In Buckhead. I want to read that quote one more time because Jesus is not anti rich. 
Whatever gifts people have, including money, if they consider those gifts their own personal property to do with as they please, then those gifts stand between them and full community, fellowship with other human beings, and ultimately with God. And that is when all such gifts become evil. When Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell all you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me, the disciples were, were intrigued. They, they were very, very surprised by this, and they cried out to him saying, Jesus, if this man can't be saved, who can? And this is where Jesus, that popular phrase that we hear, says, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. He's saying it's impossible for man, but anything is possible for God. Peter is anxious to say something very specific. And so he blurts out, you know, we, we, no, no, we are not like that young ruler. Lord, we left our homes, our jobs to follow you. And Jesus is so kind to Peter. He's like, Peter, I know that. I know what you did. But I want you to know this, Peter. You have not given up the equal of what I can give to you. You cannot give up the equal of what I'm going to give to you. No one has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Whatever we cling to, he can provide and will provide more. Uh, it's interesting how uh, I think some attention needs to be drawn to the word perfect, the way perfect is used here. Um, you can have a perfect golf swing. Uh, you can have what you think is the perfect wolf range um, in your, for your kitchen. But this perfection is different. This perfection is demonstrating fulfillment, wholeness, one together. So it can, this, is a, this is a fullness of perfection that cannot be manufactured. Jesus is trying to describe to the rich young ruler not his disobedience to the law. He's trying to show him that he needs to obey. He's trying to show him obedience. The rich young ruler mistakenly believed that he had kept the commandments since he was young. Jesus ultimately was telling him, you, you need me, you're, you're a sinner, and you need a savior. We know from all four gospels that Jesus did not call all his followers to give away all of their possessions. Not all people are as burdened by their possessions as this young man was. 
In his case, the challenge was radical because that is what had his heart. And God precisely knows what is on our hearts. He knows how difficult it can be to give up the things that we love. But I can promise you, there is nothing you can give up that he will not replace a hundredfold more in this life and in the age to come. This passage is it's all about the gospel. What good deed must I do to gain eternal life? It's impossible for anyone to be virtuous enough to perform, to become deserving of eternal life. We're incapable of delivering ourselves from the shackles of idolatry. It can only be made possible through God. Only he can expose our worship of idols. He has the power to transform us. We can never do enough, but he does it all through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. So God is the definition of good. God demands perfection. God provides the way. Perhaps, maybe for the first time, the rich young ruler was made aware of the sinfulness within him. Scripture doesn't tell us if we'll be in heaven with him. I don't know. We know that he walked away not believing. But I wonder and I hope that from being exposed to his sin, that at some point, in some time down the road, he realized the position he was in and his need for a savior. Romans 3, Paul tells us, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law reveals our sin to us. And I hope the rich young ruler remembered what Jesus told him. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Lord, our fullness, our perfection, our wholeness comes only through you. Thank you that you do the good work. Lord, thank you that we can respond to your gift with acts of service and compassion and love, and you call us to do that, Lord. But may we do it out of a response of our heart for your perfect goodness. Draw us closer to you. Help us know you more intimately and to remember your promise. In Jesus' name, amen.